As noted last Sunday, when you're looking at the Christmas story, there's a lot of different approaches one can take, a lot of different angles uh, you can approach. Um, I like to try to start from the bigger perspective, the more macro understanding of something before we get into the particulars, kind of the nitty gritty. It's easy to go right to the story of Mary, uh, the virgin conception, uh, but lack of a depth of understanding as to what is really going on within the text and how radical of a moment in human history, the angel Gabriel appearing to this 14 or 15 year old little girl in Nazareth, how radical a moment in human history that really, really is. As mentioned, the birth of Christ, the birth of the Messiah was a long held expectation of the children of Israel. Scholars would place even the first mention of the virgin conception going all the way back into Eden. When God is pronouncing the curses to Adam and to Eve and to the serpent, we find in Genesis 3 verse 15, a prophecy that Satan's ultimate downfall would be the seed of the woman, that God would provide humanity a savior through some miraculous birth. In fact, we we understand that even Adam and Eve understood the implications of what was being said. That even in the moment that it was uttered, that Adam and Eve had an understanding that God was going to save them from their sin. God was going to save them from their plight. God was going to save and deliver humanity from certain death through a miraculous child that would be born to humanity. Now, how deeply they understood the virgin aspects of it, we don't really know. But Adam and Eve understood the implications of what God was saying. Now, how do we know that? Again, Adam and Eve have not had any children at this point in in, in the story. They've sinned. They've fallen short. They're experiencing the consequences. Judgments have been declared. They've been kicked out of the garden. A cherubim with a flaming sword has been posted to keep them back from accessing the tree of life. Adam and Eve told to go in and, and multiply and fill the earth. So they had this expectation, man, our life is a lot different than it was in the garden. And God told us that the remedy is going to be a child. And so the first child that God gives, there is an expectation right from the jump, from the the heart of Adam and Eve, that the first child was going to indeed be it. Why do we know that? Because Cain literally means it's it. That's what it means. That's what the name means. They were given a boy. And they immediately thought, all right, it's not going to be very long until we're back in the garden. That God is providing a savior now. They were sorely disappointed with Cain and his behavior. It became evident pretty clear on that this was not going to be an immediate remedy. But there was this expectation all throughout scripture. You look at the prophecies um, and, and the promises that God gave to Abraham. What was it rooted in? It was rooted in his seed his lineage, his family, that God was going to provide a deliverer for the world through the lineage of Abraham. And then God rejected Ishmael and he chose Isaac, that it would be through his descendants and his seed. And then we get to Jacob. And then we get from all his sons, we get to Judah. And it works its way down to King David. There's this expectation. God would provide a king, a savior, a deliverer. 
We get to Isaiah. Because again, there's this expectation within the hearts of the people that God is going to deliver them, that God would save them. But they're constantly looking for it. And by the time you get to Isaiah, things are a bit dicey, right? You got the Assyrians that are marching. Isaiah sees into the future, a, a future Babylon. Isaiah has got great insight and foreknowledge into what's going to be happening. And there's this expectation, God, where are you? Are you providing a deliverer? What should we be looking for? How will we know that you've sent the Savior? Can you give us a sign? Something we can see. Something that's so radical, so revolutionary, so unexpected that we'd be like, ta-da, that's it. That's what we've been looking for. That kid's different. Well, in Isaiah chapter 7, we'll start with verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, so think about it. When this happens, wrap your brain around it. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So God's going to send a savior. The savior is going to come through a woman. It's going to be a human being, going to be born to man. And the Hebrew people are like, at this point, so many years later, with so, so many repetitions and, 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 and uh, restatements of the similar promises, like, can you whittle it down, God, for us? Can you give us something we can be looking for? A sign a sign. And so God's like, okay, you want a sign? You want a sign that I've sent the deliverer, the savior, the Messiah. Well, here you go. A virgin shall conceive. Now, right from the back, that's abnormal. I don't know if you're aware of of how the biology of all this works. Virgins don't conceive without there being a male partner. Once they've conceived, they're no longer a virgin. A virgin conceiving is an abnormal thing. And then bearing a son, again, odd. I mean, God's like, if you really want to know, how about this? Keep your eyes out for the one thing that doesn't ever happen. (laughs) Like, can you ask for a better sign, honestly? Like, to keep your eye out for? You want a sign? How about this? When you see something that's never happened before and will never happen again, there's your sign. The son that's born, that's the savior. That's Emmanuel, God with us. So with that context just in mind, that there's this expectation, there's this understanding, God has been very clear how you can pinpoint the Messiah. Virgin, conceiving, bearing a son. So we get to Luke chapter one. Verse 26, we read, 
Now, in the sixth month, this is the sixth month of what? Let me, a little context in case you weren't with us last week. <clears throat> the sixth month within Luke's narrative and his timeline is this is the sixth month of another miraculous conception. The conception of, of an old man, an old priest named Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth. You can read the first several uh, verses of the first chapter. You can go back. You can listen to last Sunday's message. This old couple, the angel Gabriel, appears to Zacharias, says, you guys are going to have a kid. He's like, I don't think so. We're way beyond that. Not thinking like, you know, God's done this before with Abraham and Sarah. So God provides them a child, John, who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. This is God breaking the 400 years of silence from the close of the Old Testament to the opening of the New Testament. This olden priest whose wife is barren goes into the temple to offer incense and an angel appears and God is starting. It's go time. So we're in these six months, Luke giving us a timeline, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So she's showing, she's in the third trimester. Uh, She's gonna need some help, we'll get to that, a a handmaiden. But it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Right from the beginning here, there there is something that is a little strange about even the way that this gets phrased. So you're Gabriel, you're God's messenger. You are already a pretty notable character in the scriptures. You've had quite a relationship with Daniel already. I mean, you've been sent back and forth from heaven to earth, bringing big messages and huge revelations. I mean, you are kind of the go-to guy when it comes to the angelic host. The only other angel we know by name other than, well, Lucifer, is Michael the archangel. Gabriel is a special messenger. And, and we're told here, the same angel sent to Zacharias. So he, Gabriel, I need you to go to the temple. There's this guy going in. He's going to be offering incense. Gabriel's like, that sounds like a great plan. That seems to be a good place for me to be going, making such a declaration. So I'm going to the temple. I'm meeting with a priest. He goes back up, chilling for six months. And God's got another assignment for you, Gabriel. I need you to go to Galilee. Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of cool. Never been to Galilee. Capernaum, I hear it's beautiful this time of year. No, 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 Gabriel. I'm going to send you to Nazareth. Um, excuse me? Where is that? No, Nazareth. It's, it's a town in Galilee. Yeah. Um, do you have directions? Why do I, why do I say that? Please note that the city of Nazareth has never been mentioned before in scripture. There's a lot of towns that get mentioned all throughout the old Testament, all throughout the land of Israel. Towns of note, places where Abraham went, or Isaac built an altar, or God did some great work. I mean, we went through judges recently. I mean, there's a lot of towns that get mentioned all throughout the area, but not Nazareth. You know why Nazareth is never mentioned? Because nobody cared about Nazareth. Like, we, we sometimes 
tend to glorify a bit of the Christmas story. We try to paint. We were so familiar with things, like we clean it up a little bit. You need to understand that Nazareth, Nazareth is not even on the map, okay, from a biblical standpoint. Nothing's happened there. Nobody of any notoriety has descended from there or claims it as a home. The population is small. It's basically on, on, a, on a road, a Roman road that connected It's out in the wilderness. It connected Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, the region of Galilee, to the Mediterranean. So if you were taking your fish or taking your supplies, it was a very fertile farmland around uh, around the Sea of Galilee. That area was very fertile. So you were taking your crops, taking your, your, your catch, whatever it was, to the bigger marketplaces on the Mediterranean Sea. You would be taking this particular road and about halfway in the middle of nowhere, there's a truck stop. It's got a speedway with a few extra showers, some clean toilets. There is likely a Waffle House. They might only have a Huddle House. I don't even know. They don't have a legit grocery store. It's a Piggly Wiggly. And and, and there are no neighborhoods. It's basically trailer parks that exist to facilitate the gas station, the stopping place, for travelers making its way through. Again, Gabriel would be like, I don't know where Nazareth is. You're sending me to Nazareth? Right there, that should pique your interest. That should, should, should garner your attention. An angel being, like what good could come from Nazareth? In fact, later on in the story, when, when uh, I think it's Peter and Nathaniel, one of those guys, they're like, yeah, we, we found the Messiah. His name's Jesus. Where's he from? Nazareth. Is there anything good that can come from Nazareth? I mean, that was the reputation. Nothing good came from Nazareth. It was, it was a dumpy truck stop filled with a bunch of illiterate farm workers, day labor, servants. So right from the beginning, our story is a little odd. Instead of going to the temple or going to Rome or some great city, The angel is being sent by God to Nazareth. And then we're told to a virgin. So a virgin. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David. Speaking of the virgin. And the virgin's name was Mary. So you're Gabriel and you're being sent to Mary, who is living and has grown up in the town of Nazareth, who we're told is a virgin, so she's a young maiden. She lives and has grown up in Nazareth, so she's not wealthy. She does come from nobility. She has a lineage that goes back to King David, so does Joseph. But there's nothing of note regarding Mary. There's nothing important or significant about Mary. There's nothing um, that, that, that rises to your, the attention. Like it's, it's, she's just a normal 14, 15 year old girl living in a town with no opportunity, with no future. She's a virgin, so she's kept herself pure. Church history seems to indicate that she grew up in a very godly home that seems to be substantiated by some of the reaction that Mary has to the things that are about to happen. There is an incredible depth, but keep in mind, 
that Mary would not have gone to synagogue. She would, she would be illiterate. She would not be able to read or write. She wouldn't have grown up with any educational opportunities. Her entire uh, purpose would be to, to be a homemaker, to take care of the home. She would have been trained by her mother. And yet somehow within the scope of the home, there was spiritual rearing. Scripture was present. Worship, no doubt. So you're introduced to this young lady, this virgin named Mary. And we're told that she's betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph, indicating that she's in a very exciting time of her life. Now, a a little background into how Jews did marriages, which is a bit different than the way that we do them in our Western kind of English culture. In Jewish society, most of the time, there were exceptions, but the majority of the time, a marriage was prearranged between families. And so you had, you had uh, one guy who's good friends with another guy, and maybe they're even in business together, or, or they're neighbors, or they, they've grown up together. They, you know, they, they went through you know, Shabbat and all the different schooling, and, and they, they've just been good friends. And so at some point, they both got married, and they're like, hey, we're going to start families. And one guy has a daughter, and the other one has a son. And they're like, hey, we should, we should have our kids get hitched. They should get married so that our families are brought together our resources, our families. This is just a customary, a cultural thing uh, that would take place. And so it's likely that Mary and Joseph are probably betrothed even before they're even born. That's like, there's already been an agreement between the dads. Like, hey, if I have a daughter and you have a son, let's have, let's let, let, they should get married. Which means that they grow up, these two grow, they grow up together. They know each other. They kind of grow up as siblings, not in a weird sense, but just in a relational context. They were part of the same synagogue, church, community. They were friends. They knew each other very well, and they're betrothed. So at some point, yes, there's been an arrangement. They're going to get married. But then the next phase to that, once they got of age, that there would be like an official, formal betrothal. It's different than an engagement. In our society, when two people get engaged, um, there's an ex- expectation they're going to get married, right? Um, you you kind of like don't take it super serious until there's a date. But at some point within an engagement in our society, if the two parties fall out of favor, they could break it off. Not so in a Jewish context. Like betrothal, there was a formal process to it, like stage one of the marriage where commitments were made to one another. In fact, the only way that a betrothal could be dissolved was through formal divorce. You are considered legally married in the betrothal phase. However, you had not consummated the marriage yet. So so we're told that they're betrothed, which means that there's a commitment that's been made. There's promises, vows exchanged. This is a glorious time. And presently, Joseph is back at his pop's house building on an addition where they're going to live. Which you got to imagine, you know, wasn't, wasn't just a podunk type of thing because Joseph was a carpenter. So he's using his skills. You know, he's, he's an artisan. He's building a wing and extension to his father's house for his bride. While he's doing that, Mary is preparing herself because she doesn't know when Joseph's going to come and call her. 
It could be at any moment, at any time. And so she's, she's keeping herself clean and dressed and she's got her bags packed. She's just waiting for the moment, right? And she's happy and she, she's got friends and they're on the lookout. Now, we don't know how long the betrothal here had taken place. Most of the time, it was roughly about a year. In fact, it wasn't even the groom's decision when it was time to go retrieve his bride. That had to be determined by the father. So the father would have to come in, do an, inspe an inspection of the addition and be like, boy, it's good, go get her. And then boom, he gets to go. So th there's an excitement and there's a celebration and then there's a seven day party and then they begin their life together. So they're betrothed, Mary, virgin, she's young, she's a Nazareth, she's betrothed, such a happy time. She's about to start her life with this man. And having come in, Gabriel the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. What's Mary doing? <clears throat> I have no idea. We're like, we're not, we're not told. Obviously, within the context of what happens, she's by herself. But what's she doing? Is she, is she out for a walk in the countryside? Is she doing her chores? Is she in a room by herself? Is this late at night? Is this early in the morning? Is this in the after? Like we don't, we don't really know the timing or the placement of, of this. But Gabriel sent by God to this maiden, Mary. And he comes in with this incredible declaration. The first word, rejoice. Rejoice, Mary. Take joy. You're highly favored. The Lord's with you. Blessed are you among women. Literally, this, this, this idea of, of blessed are you among women is that, that Mary was given an abundance of grace. I, I should address that there are groups within larger Christianity that seem to place Mary on an unhealthy, and I think even from Mary's perspective would have been an embarrassing pedestal. There are even some that take Mary to the placement of co-redemptress within Catholicism, that, that Mary um, is on par with Jesus. So, some people within Christianity obviously place her into a pedestal that I think, as we'll see, Mary would be very uh, embarrassed about and would reject thoroughly. On the flip side to it, I think, I think Protestants sometimes, uh, we, we, we ying to the yang. We, we, the pendulum swings too far. And we don't acknowledge like how special this lady is. Again, of all of the women ever born, there's something about her that God is moved by. That he chooses Mary of all women, highly favored, blessed. You are going to be the mother of Jesus. Interesting. This phrase Blessed are you among women. You know, one of the reasons that I think 
that Mary gets put on an unhealthy pedestal is that this phrase that we find in the Greek, blessed are you, this phrase is used in only one other place in scripture. It is an amazing, first person it's ever used in regards to is Mary, right? She's the first, but that's not the last. And in fact, you don't have to turn there. I will. In Ephesians chapter one, we read, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us and him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved, the exact same phrase used for Mary. So, so right from the, the bat, Mary is, is unique and special because there is a phrase here. She is, she is chosen by God and it has been this grace upon grace, this blessing. But that also applies to all of us. Yeah, Mary's the first, but is she above the rest of us? No, because the exact same description, only other place you find the word, is about you and I. That we have been chosen in Jesus Christ, that we have been picked out, that we've been adopted, that we're highly favored and blessed, grace upon grace. I bring that up and I, and I make such an emphasis to this because there is, there is an aspect to Mary's story that I do think is very relatable for all of us. Now, it's true. She's the only person, only virgin to conceive. She's the only woman to carry Jesus, to birth Jesus. But is she the only person to carry Jesus? No, see, I think that there is an, 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 a bit of an allegory, and I don't want to take it too far, but there is an application to Mary's story very similar to ours in the sense that what is the whole idea of, 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 of salvation? We have asked Jesus to come into our hearts, that Jesus comes and lives inside of us. How? Not physically like he did with Mary, but spiritually through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, that Jesus comes and resides in us through his spirit, and then he works and lives uh, out of us. So Mary has this experience where like you're highly favored, you're chosen. God's going to be in you. And that's relatable because there's a same similar miracle that happens for all of us identical to Mary. That we are seen by God, determined to be favored, blessed, not because of us or what we've done, but he loves us and he chooses us and it's his grace upon grace, highly favored, blessed are you. Why? Because God has determined to put his presence in you. How amazing. And again, we can see in Mary's reaction, the way that she deals with this, a pattern for the way that we should. We can also see the consequences and some of the implications of this dynamic that play out in Mary's life are very similar to how this works with us as well. Again, Mary, I find to be so relatable and, and this experience is similar to what happens in our salvation, our conversion, the indwelling that takes place in our own hearts at regeneration. So rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw Gabriel, she was troubled at his saying. Totally different reaction than Zacharias, who's freaked out about the angel. 
And I love this about Mary. Mary's like, she's not really all that geeked out about the angel. What's up, Gabe? You know? But she's troubled by what he's just said. Like, excuse me? And she considered what manner of greeting this was, which does give us some further insight into into how beautiful a woman this, this Mary was. She's troubled, and then she considers. Literally, she starts to chew on it. She's very thoughtful. She's very contemplative. And again, keep in mind, this is, this is a young lady with no educational experience, no formal religious training, illiterate, and yet she's not taken back by the angel. And she's not flabbergasted by what's said. She starts to think about it and to chew on it. So the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, so this is what's about to happen. You will conceive in your womb. I don't know where else you would conceive. And bring forth a son. So you'll conceive, you'll have a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And again, Jesus, this is not a, um, it means salvation. Salvations of the Lord is, is what Jesus means. Uh, Jesus is, is it's the English translation of, of many different things that take us all the way back. And the Hebrew, it's a very common name. It's Yahshua or Joshua, as we would translate. We, we get to Jesus. There's a whole long story how we get to that. Better translation would be Joshua. Going to be interesting. We get to heaven. Like, Jesus, what's up? He's like, it's Joshua, man. It's in the book. Yahshua, we'll just call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't think it'll be a thing, but you know what I'm saying? You'll you'll conceive, you'll have a son, you'll name him Jesus, which is a common name, a normal name. And then we're told of Jesus, beginning with verse 32, of this son that she's going to have, he will be great. Now this is important because, because this is Gabriel and, and Mary understands that there's been this expectation. Again, she understands as everybody that there's a sign that he's going to be, that God's sending a savior because a virgin's conceiving. And she's like, I'm a virgin. You're telling me I'm going to conceive. And now I'm going to get a description of what this child is going to be. Who's been long foretold. God's picked me. This is what's happening here. Holy cow. So this son, he'll be great. And will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's Israel. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So just to make sure, Mary, you understand who this kid is. Let me tell you about him. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He'll be great. He'll be the son of the highest. He'll rule and reign on the throne of his father, David. Of his kingdom, there'll be no end. I mean, what an amazing prophetic utterance of the person of Jesus. And so Mary said to the angel, how can this be 
since I do not know a man. Now, keep in mind that I don't think that Mary is, is being skeptical here. I don't think that she's, I don't think that this is a demonstration of some type of doubt. Um, I don't think that, that this is, I think her concern is more of like, how not will it, but how in the sense of like, shall it, <laughs> like, can it? I'm a virgin. So you just, you say the virgin will conceive. I got you. I'm tracking. This will be my son. I'm with you. How's that going to happen? Like, like explain to me the mechanism of how a virgin conceives, because I've never really read about this in, in sex ed at school. Like, this is not a normal thing. I'd like to know how this is going to happen, which I don't fault Mary for. You know, if this is going to happen, you kind of want to know how it's going to happen. What should I be prepared for? I've never had sex with a man. How am I going to be pregnant? So the angel said to her, so this is his answer to that question. How will a virgin conceive? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. There's a whole lot in these verses, in this verse. But it's not that dissimilar to our experience. How am I going to be saved? How am I saved from my sin? How am I born again? How am I made new? Nicodemus came to Jesus with the question. And Nicodemus, was not about being reborn with water physically, but it's a spiritual thing. How am I saved? How am I made new? How does this take place? Well, what has to happen? The Holy Spirit has to come upon you, Zach. And the presence of God will overshadow. It's the same type of thing. This word overshadow, it has a lot of Old Testament connotations. It, it can be implied like the presence of God, the shadow of God, um, the cloud, the Shekinah glory. Mary's like, I'm a virgin. I, okay, I accept. I'm going to conceive. I know who the kid's going to be. I get all of that. How's this going to happen? And Gabriel's like, he doesn't actually tell her how, does he? But what does he point to? Who? M Mary, I, I, don't, I don't even know if I can explain this in a way that you're going to really wrap your brain around. So instead of telling you how, I'm just going to say God's going to do something. Like that, that's, what, that's what Gabriel's saying. How can my heart of stone be made a heart of flesh? How can, how can I be a new person in Christ Jesus? How can this happen? How can I be different? How can I be new? How can my sin be washed away? How can I be forgiven? How does any of this happen? And what does the Bible say? Does the Bible tell us exactly how it happens? No, but what does it do? It points us to God. It says, well, you want to know how? God does something in you and it changes you. How will the virgin conceive God's going to work? Now, now, what we can say without any doubt is that, that this miraculous, you know, we call it the virgin birth. It's not really a virgin birth. It's a virgin conception. It's, it's the, the better vernacular to use here. How this would happen is not in any type of physical means. 
This is a complete spiritual experience. God would do something, there would be an overshadowing. We can dispel any perverse notions of God having physical relations with Mary. Like there's no room within the story, there's no room within this text. It's a perversion, it's disgusting, and, and frankly, um, it, it's, it's heretical revolting for anyone to, to, to even breach such an idea. God would do something. Yes, Mary, th- there would be an egg, and it's hers. <laughs> I, somehow God would fertilize that egg without a man, with his presence. So that Jesus, and, and I love this because, okay, therefore, so the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, anytime you see therefore, you ask, what, what is it therefore? So the results of this, therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So through this Holy Spirit working in your life, what you conceive of will be the son of God. It won't be the son of man or a man. It will be the son of God. And, and, and the way that the Hebrews would, would address things, to be the son of something is to be the same nature as that thing. If, if I said that you were the son of a giraffe, you are likely a elephant. No, you're a giraffe. Like you are of the same nature. To be the son of something is to be of the same nature as what's referred to. So if, if I'm the son of Sandy, you, you get to know me and you're like, yep, you are. Um, get to know your personality. Guess what? You are the son of Sandy and Kathy. Um, I'm of the same nature of my parents, right? But to be of the son of God is to be God. That's the idea. But I also like the notion and what's implied that holy one, uh, the, the word one, this is kind of a, not a great translation. Um, it just sounds better. <laughs> the Holy One. Because the, in actuality, it would be Holy Thing. This Holy Thing is the Son of God. Which, which I find to be very interesting and informative. Because Jesus doesn't enter into the existence or the realm of reality in this moment. It's not as though that this thing is the beginning. Now, see, Jesus existed beforehand. It's not through the, in, we call it the incarnation, literally incarne. You like carne asada? Flesh, it's meat. The incarnation is when God incarnate took flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And then we read, and the word became flesh, incarnate, took on flesh and spice and dwelt among us. This holy thing, this is not the beginning. This is a continuation. This is a new manifestation. We'll be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Gabriel continues, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. <clears throat> then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, 
let it be to me according to your word, the angel departed from her. So Mary just gets a bomb dropped, right, into her life. She is betrothed to a man. God has just appeared, sending a messenger. I got a plan for you. The virgin will conceive. You are highly favored. I am picking you, Mary, for this special task, for this special role, to be a special vessel by which I will bring my son into this world. Mary, that is wonderful news. And she's thinking, yes, but this is going to be real hard to explain. Right? I mean, I mean, how are you going to sell this to Joseph? Joe, Joe, I, I know I'm pregnant. I haven't been unfaithful. I'm still a virgin, actually. I've, I've kept myself for you. I've been waiting. Don't take this as an insult. This is, let me tell you, who's the dad? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's not Timmy down the street. I'm pregnant. Yes. I know this is a complication. No doubt. It's God's baby. How, how's she going to explain this to her parents? Yeah, um, yeah, mom and dad, um, this wasn't an oopsie. <laughs> I, I didn't get loose at the party. No, this is a, an angel appeared. You'd commit that chick to an asylum. Like, like Mary has this incredible, she has been picked. She has been chosen. This is an amazing thing. Jesus, she is, Jesus has been conceived inside of her. Does that make her life easier? No, it just radically changed everything. Did it, does it change her future? A hundred percent. Does it change her destiny? Without question. Could it, does it change her relationships? You better believe it. Let me ask, when you gave your life to Jesus and this spiritual thing happened where God came and indwelled inside of you and you were different and then you went to your boyfriend or your spouse or your parents and you're like, I gotta tell you what happened. God's in me and he's changed me. And they're like, you're nuts. What? I don't believe that. Like Mary, right from the jump here, this is great news, but there's, okay, this is, this is going to be a game changer. Gabriel makes this statement. He says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I don't know who the translators are. I don't like picking on them. This is a terrible translation. For with God, nothing will be impossible. It's, it's, it's not what, <laughs> the, it's a, that's a true statement. Don't get me wrong. I mean, God's God. He can do what he wants. But like the depth of what's being stated here, even Mary recognizes because her reaction, what she says, doesn't make sense to what Gabriel just uttered and the way that it's translated. So what we have here, for with God, nothing, the word nothing here, it's rima. It's literally word. 
and then will be impossible. Again, bad translation, lacks power. Word lacks power. The better translation of this, and and you can find translations that do this. Uh, The ASV, for example, translates it, for no word from God shall be void of power. Which then explains what does Mary say? Let it be to me according to what? Your word. So what is Gabriel saying to Mary? This is going to be a miracle. This is going to happen in your life. I know it's a, it's, it's a mind melt to a degree. But you need to understand, Mary, that no word from God, like if, if this is a word from God, there's no word that God will ever utter that doesn't come with it the very power to fulfill the word. So what God has said to you, Mary, God's word comes with itself the power to accomplish the word, which is why Mary's like, let it be according to your word, because there's power in your word. No word of God is void of power. Let me explain. Let me explain how this works in our lives. So let's say God is speaking into a marriage that has grown dull, that's dim, that's hard. And God says, in his word, love your wife as Christ loves the church. It's the word. And you're like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how that happens. How does it happen? If we obey the word and then we try to love our wife and the moment we do that, the power of God comes behind it to make it possible. You see examples of this in the miracles of Jesus. A man with a withered hand and what does Jesus tell him? Stretch it out. I've been there. That's a cruel joke. Stretch it out. What? But what happens? There, God, Jesus uttered a word. Stretch forth your hand. And somehow, in the moment that man had any type of resolve, any inkling, any effort, the moment that there was just faith enough to be like, okay, there was power came behind it. We're told that it's the word of God that is living and powerful sharper than a two-edged sword, is even able to divide into the soul and being of a person. Mary, I know you don't understand how this is going to happen. You just take a step. The word went forth and the power comes with it. With the word is always the enabling. The Bible says, flee youthful lust. And you're like, how do I do that? Well, there's power in the word. That's where the power comes from. And the declaration of the word. And so Mary's like, I'm a maidservant of God. Let's do this. May it be to me according to your word, for there's power in your word. Now, we're not told at all when this happens. Does she conceive right then? Is it something that happened later that night? No idea. No clue. But the Holy Spirit working understood that Mary, well, Mary would need some help. And so Gabriel says, hey, God's at work and Elizabeth, your your relative, I know this is a crazy thing that's happened in your life 
and you might want to get away and you might need some, some backup. You might need some support. Go to Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant. She's going to need some help. I've worked in her life. I'll make the introductions. Now notice this. Now Mary arose in those days, went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. She traveled quite a distance, by the way. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb. This is John, the Presbyterian. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she's right. Elizabeth is recognizing that this little thing in Mary at this point is the Lord. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she speaking of Mary who believed for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. The scene, this is incredible. We got to end here. Mary shows up at the house. And again, the way that the language structures, she gets there, she comes in. Hello, Elizabeth. Because it was at the, it was at the sound of hearing the greeting that Elizabeth, who by the way, doesn't know anything that's happened to Mary. She has not read the previous verses yet. She, she has only known her experience. She's six months pregnant. This relative shows up, this teenage girl, Elizabeth. And boom, the babe leaps. She's filled with the spirit. And and when Mary walks in, has Mary explained anything? Did Mary go out and like, I got, I I don't know if anyone's going to believe this. I'm going to start this with you. Let me explain what happened. Right? Because that's what she's dreading. Because who's going to believe this story? She doesn't even have to explain it to Elizabeth. She walks in and Elizabeth takes one look at her and she's like, you're the mother of my Lord. Imagine that moment for Mary. The confirmation. You understand it. You get it. You know, we've all had a similar experience when we give our life to Jesus, when Jesus indwells us with his spirit. And and everybody in our world, in our circle, thinks we've lost our cotton-picking mind. And nobody believes us and nobody understands us. And then we go to church or we bump into that Christian friend and they take one look at us and they're like, I know what happened to you. You do? Oh yeah. Been there. Gabriel? Oh, I know. Gotta watch out for that guy. No, but you know what I'm saying? And you find some, and there's affirmation and there's confirmation and you're like, yes, you believe me that my life has changed, that Christ is dwelling within the hope of glory. What that must have meant for Mary. It meant a lot because from that, she explodes into this beautiful song of praise, the magnificent, magnificant. I'll read it very quickly. We don't have time to unpack it. That was my intention. But, but Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord 
and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. My Savior. She's not a co-redemptress. She sees that Jesus is her Savior. Blessed among women, not above women. Blessed, same word used for us. She sees Jesus, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, her humility. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed. There's roughly uh, 23-ish Old Testament references in this song. The depth The the theology is unbelievable. And no doubt this is inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is something that's pouring out of her heart. But this young lady, she knew the Lord. You You can't sing this song. And then just for giggles, highlight every he, God, Savior. It's all over. This is so Christ centric. It's all about Christ. It's all about God. It's all about his faithfulness, his goodness, fulfilling his promises. We're told that Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months. No doubt she was there through the delivery of John the Baptist. And returned to her house. I highlighted and returned to her house. We just read that. The description, the historical documentation provided us to Luke. She's there three months and then she returns to her house. She is three months pregnant. She has returned to her house. That's easy to read. That is hard to live. If you're Mary and you return to your house, that's tough. But she returned. She went home. What bravery. What confidence. The woman knew she would be misunderstood. She'd be ridiculed. She'd be accused. Jesus would be referred to as the bastard. The rumors were that Mary was raped by a Roman soldier wasn't conceived of God. She carried that stigma, but she did it proudly. She was blessed of women. I close with this thought. With great blessing, with greater blessing comes deeper sorrow. Yeah, Mary, Mary, you look at Mary and you're like, what a, what a woman. What a work. Chosen to be the mother of Jesus. Amazing. The only woman to experience that. 
she's also the only woman that saw her son have to hang on a tree for the sins of the world. Mary, this Mary, was there to see Jesus suffer and die. Blessing was suffering. You see it in Mary. And she goes home, and next week we'll talk about what happens there. So, Father, thank you for your word.